have a seat. Or we'll stand. Maybe we'll just stand the whole time today. Let's try that. Let's do something different. How many of you are, how many of you normally attend first service? Raise your hand. Okay, good, good. So where's all the second service people? Where are they at? Okay, that's fine. All right, we're going to be in First Peter chapter 3, continuing today. <clears throat> Thanks for coming out, and it's always hard for us as we try to navigate the making good choices in Sunday mornings with bad weather, and uh, so thank you for bearing with us, and if you didn't get our message and you've been here extra today, hope you've enjoyed your time together hanging out. Coffee was here, so... Uh, so thanks for coming. Welcome to you, and for the millions watching at home, welcome to you too. I'm sure there's millions out there today watching. We're continuing the series of Living as Holy Exiles here, and we're looking at 1 Peter 3. We're looking at those few verses, but a little background here. If you're, I'm reading from the CSB, if you are going with the digital version today. Um, just go back to chapter 2, just kind of, if you were just kind of a quick catch-up. Verse 11. Dear friends, I urge you as strangers and exiles, abstain from sinful desires. Conduct yourselves honorably. Remember when he got really practical right here? Remember that? Uh, when Peter started getting very practical with this section. If you're a practical thinker, you probably love from that verse on and the different categories. Call to good works, submission to slaves and masters, wives and husbands, uh, do no evil probably loved that kind of stuff and then in verse chapter 3 verse 8 again he kind of brings it all together finally thinking about finally means after all these things he said finally all of you be like-minded kind of sum it up sympathetic love one another be compassionate and humble and then that leads us into our verses here in 13 <clears throat> when, when Peter's going to bring up undeserved suffering he's going to bring up the word suffering which none of us like to talk about. But in, let's read these, read these few verses here. Who then will harm you? Think about that. He's, all the things that he said, all the practical instruction he said, if you do this, if you live this way, think about this. Who then will harm you if you are devoted to what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness, you are blessed. Do not fear them or be intimidated, but in your hearts regard Christ the Lord as holy ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. You do this with gentleness and reverence, keeping a clear conscience, so that when you are accused, those who disparage your good conduct in Christ will be put to shame. <clears throat> for it is better to suffer for what is good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. <clears throat> First point we're going to have today is live this way and you will have less harm. Let's think about all the things he's said. We'll review, we'll review a few things here. Like in verse, we just did in verse 8 there of chapter 3. If you love one another, you're compassionate and humble. If you don't repay evil for evil, insult for insult, but on the contrary, you give a blessing. And I'm back to 11. Abstain from sinful desires. Conduct yourselves honorably among Gentiles. Submit to every human authority. Yes, you're going to live a life with less harm. <laughs> um, I remember being in high school, being a, a high schooler with 
a bunch of kids that were Christians, some were calling themselves Christians, and they, they really felt like, and maybe you feel like this, that, that God's trying to hinder my fun, that God was always trying to get in the way. I want to do these things, but I can't, because the Bible says I can't. Or I want to go with that crowd. I want to go do what they're doing and say what they're saying and, and participate. I just want to be with them, but the Bible says I shouldn't be living that life. And I remember kids saying, I don't know if I want to be a Christian because God just takes all the fun out of it. The Bible just says uh, I can't have any fun. <clears throat> no, this, that's not what these, these practical things that Peter has said are, are, are all about. Um, if we live for God and we follow his commands, it's the best way to live. There's protection from danger, disease, some disease, emotional hurts. Even though we're not immune to those things. If we live the way that he's saying to live here in these verses, in these weeks leading up to this, we are probably not going to bring ourselves harm. We're not going to cause ourselves harm. You've known somebody that, that uh, needs help along the way in life, and you look back and they, they complain about, man, all these things are going wrong, and you're like, these are all your choices. You did these things. This was you. You brought yourself all this harm. Don't, woe is me. You know, change. You know, if we live the way that Peter is saying here, that we has been saying, that we will cause, you know, less harm to ourselves. Um, but then he is going to get into suffering here. Our second point, Christians will endure, still endure suffering. That's the bad news. Christians will still endure suffering. We're looking at verses 14 and 17 in this one. So verse 14, but even if you should suffer for righteousness, you are blessed. Do not fear them or be intimidated. And then you skip to 17, for it is better to suffer for good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. And we're going to separate three kinds of sufferings here. This is not in your notes. It's not going to be on the screen. If you want to write these down, you can write these down. But we're going to talk about three different kinds of sufferings. There's sufferings of life is the first one. We will, Christians, suffer. We still live in a fallen world. Bad things still happen to Christians. We're not immune to this. Christians become ill. Christians die. Christians lose their jobs. They fall on hard times. They have broken relationships. We still are not immune to that. This is not the Garden of Eden. This is not how God wanted it to be. Sin has entered the world, and this is what, and we are going to encounter sufferings. There are going to be hard times. Just look at the Bible. Look at people that follow God. Hard times. We're studying Joseph right out in there at 10 o'clock in the fellowship hall. Joseph's, he was in a pit from his brothers, and now he's in a dungeon. He's, he's gone through hard times, and he's following God. You're still going to have hard times, um, Peter introduces another suffering. It's suffering for righteousness. That's the second one, suffering for righteousness. Now, it's important to say at this point, and we've said this, that Peter assumes that the readers of this are followers of Jesus, and they are eager to do good. Followers of Jesus, not just that, but they are eager to do good. They are trying to do good. They are devoted to doing good. They're eager to doing good. Suffering for righteousness, they're suffering for the way God wants you to live. Many Christians around the world are put to death. We're kind of, a, we're kind of in a little bubble here in the United States. Um, what Christians go through around the world. Um, put to death, where they, a meeting like this would happen behind closed doors, hidden and unannounced to people, um, where at any moment we could be thrown in prison, tortured, killed for what we believe. Um, Christians are suffering <clears throat> around the world for righteousness all the time. But in our country, it's a little different. It's, a little, it's on a different level. 
but it still hurts. As a Christian, you might suffer because you're not invited with that group of people that you want to be associated with. You want to go with that group. They don't invite me. Why don't they invite me? Well, you're a Christian, and I know you're not going to want to do and what we want to do, and you're not going to talk the way we want to talk. I know as adults, we're not immune to that. We want to be in those social circles. We want to go with those people. Um, we want to be with them. And so <clears throat> suffering for, for righteousness might mean we're not invited. We're not included. We can't go to that event or that party um, <clears throat> we're left out of a lot of social circles. We might be left out of business deals. We might lose business if you're a business owner because of what you believe, because you're not hiding who you stand for. Uh, there's a push in our country to, to just divide. You believe this, you're over here. You believe this, you're over here. There's no middle anymore. And if you're a Christian, there's, there's more of a push now to, to, I guess, a negative push towards Christians. Um, Think about, I think about teens and the pressures that they have to conform to this world when they're trying to follow Christ and how they might suffer for righteousness um, to be still made fun of. You go to church, you believe this, and they laugh. That still happens. It happened when I was a kid, and I was always fearful of that. Um, kids are, even we see kids missing youth group activities and events because they're afraid that something small like a coach might not let them on their team or might not look favorably upon them, and they can't miss for the things that their heart says, I need to go to, I need to be a part of. It's, that's a form of suffering for righteousness. And so I think you've probably seen these things take place, but followers of Christ will suffer in these ways. Peter says, when this happens, he says right here, you are blessed. And that's always a problem we have when we associate suffering, is blessed. How can I be blessed? When I'm suffering, but look in 17, it's better to suffer for doing what is good. Peter said, if you're going to suffer, let it be because you did good, not because you did evil and you brought it upon yourself. But if you're going to suffer, let it be because you did good. If, if you're suffering because you're doing good, it's you are blessed. <clears throat> Peter also thinks that if you're suffering for doing good, you're, you're a powerful witness to others. And that was really his focus here. We may be suffering for the salvation of others. In contrast, it's good to suffer for doing good. If <clears throat> what is it good to suffer for doing evil? What is there to gain? There's no witness there. Um, suffering of, of life and of righteousness are day-to-day -day pains in this world. So we looked at sufferings of life, sufferings of righteousness. Those things are temporary. And if you're not a big fan of suffering, none of us are, you might say, well, hold on a second. About Romans 8.31 says, if God can be for us, who can be against us? And a lot of people use that verse and say, wait a minute, Christians shouldn't have hard times. These things shouldn't happen. Um, if God can be for us, who can be against us? Then why do Christians suffer? Because in this verse, he's not talking about suffering. He's talking about the third thing, where our third version of suffering, which is ultimate harm, if you're taking good notes. Ultimate harm. Think about that. We're not going to avoid the sufferings of life or sufferings of righteousness. And again, I'm assuming that I'm talking to people that are followers of Christ, eager to do good. Um, we will not avoid sufferings of life. We will not avoid sufferings of righteousness. But in the end, we know that we are saved by the blood of Jesus. We are covered in his love. The day of judgment is coming, and we know God wins. Through all this suffering that's temporary, ultimate suffering, we know we will not have. Ultimate harm will not come to us, because we know in the end, God wins. And we are in his love. We 
are covered by Jesus' blood. In the end, what, yes, we may suffer along the way, but we know in the end, it's, the end is coming. And it's not going to get us. We know that we're not of this world. Our home is not here. Our home is yet to come. It's still out there. Listen to an Alistair Begg sermon on, <clears throat> on 1 Peter, and he quotes, it's interesting, he, he brings up Philippians 1.21, he says, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain, that's the verse. He says, try to fill in this blank with something else. For me to live, for me, to live is blank, and to die is gain. Think about that. For me to live, for me, to live is money, to die is gain. That doesn't work. Your money doesn't come with you. There's no gain there. You strive for money. You live for money. You're not taking it. Uh, for me to live, for me to live is fame, popularity, social circles. And to die is gain. That doesn't work. You don't take those with you. Your social circles aren't coming. Your fame, your popularity, it's not coming. Being liked by everybody, it's not coming. There's only one thing you can put in there, and it's Christ. To live is Christ, and then to die is gain. There is more. You're with Christ. And so what, what fear do we have of ultimate harm? There's no ultimate harm coming for followers of Christ. Sufferings, yes. Temporary, yes. Ultimate harm, no. Because we know that Jesus' blood has saved us. The second part of that verse 14, if you look at it, <clears throat> do not fear them or be intimidated. Do not fear them. Now, this is, this is interesting that Jeremiah sat in my office with one CSB and I sat with a different CSB and they read different. <laughs> so you have to look at this where it says, do not fear them. I have a little letter after mine B and I go down the reference at the bottom. It says, or do not fear what they fear. Those are used interchangeably here. His said one, mine said another, but we both had the reference to the other. Catch that? Do not fear them or do not fear what they fear. And in studying this, and the, and the, the experts seem to agree that this, the, the original translation is more of a to fear what they fear, and that's how we're going to look at this. But even if you should suffer for righteousness, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear or be intimidated. Think of the fears of this, of the people have in this world. And I'm not talking about spiders and bats, you know, which are not good things, but that's a different thing. I'm not talking about those kind of fears, but people fear death. We should not fear death, for we know that we will not be brought to ultimate harm. If we know we're not going to be brought to ultimate harm, should we fear death? No. We should not fear suffering because we know suffering for righteousness is a witness to others. We should not fear being alone because we know Christ lives in us. We should not fear decisions because God promised to give us wisdom when we ask. We should not fear the paths of life, where I should go, where should I stay, when should I go, when should I stay, or when should I speak, or what should I say, I don't have the words. Why would we fear those things when he sent a helper for us, he sent the Holy Spirit? We don't have to live in fear. <clears throat> Do not fear what they fear. He's talking to believers, remember? Do not fear what they fear. <clears throat> what do we have left to fear? Third point. It's a matter of the heart. We're going to look at verse 15. It's a matter of the heart here. He says, but in your hearts regard Christ the Lord as holy. 
ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope you have that is in you. So two parts there. But in your hearts, regard Christ the Lord as holy. This is so important. The nature of true spiritual worship is a matter of the heart. We need not set apart Christ in our hearts. We need to set apart Christ in our hearts as Lord. He needs to be the owner of our hearts, the ruler, the master, not just a compartment. You know, it's inviting Christ. It'd be like inviting someone into your home and you give them the tour of the house except for that room over there, because that's where we shoved everything before you came over. It's all right there, and we don't want you to see the mess. It's right there. It's, you know, that's where everything from the living room went, the clothes we didn't fold. It's all right there. You can see everything else. No, giving Christ your heart is every room, every part of your heart, everything, every desire, every interest. God, I'm all yours, but this is pretty important to me. No, everything. And so... It's a matter of the heart, and here he says, <clears throat> in your hearts regard Christ the Lord as holy. Make him one, number one. Remember when, do you remember when something captured your heart? You know, when you, you've been married, when you, when you fell in love, when you first talked, when, remember that stage when, when you talked about that person all the time? Like to the point where, where your friends they didn't have to come up to you and say, hey, can you go on and on and on about this new person you met? Can you just please tell me another hour of that? Please. I'd love to hear that story again of how you met because it was so good the first five times because please go on and on and on. When something captures your heart, people don't need to ask. It's just coming. <laughs> coming out. Um, and your heart can be captured. I mean, there's so many things that just, uh, you know, you think of a relationship and maybe you're not married. Other things that can capture your heart that you just can't help but speak about. It just comes out of you. The heart is the origin of the human behavior and from it flows all that we do. If we've made him Lord of our heart, everyone will know that. Because you can't help it. You can't stop it. Not that you don't make mistakes, but you can't help but talk about him. You can't help but exude the, that being eager for good should be coming out. When your, car, your heart is captured completely by God, and he's the owner and the ruler, everyone's going to know that. <clears throat> Has God captured your heart in a way that you can't help but talk about him? Like a balloon filling with air about to burst. Have you seen this and your kids are blowing up, this balloon's getting bigger, you're like, well, it's going to go bad. This is going to break, and you're going to cry. I see it coming. You know, it's just, you know, when Christ has filled up our hearts, we're like that balloon. It's, it's coming. We know it's about to come out. It's about to burst. We can't help but tell people. The second part of that verse, still looking at verse 15. <clears throat> Ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. And here... If you break down the original writings here, it's, it's referring to more of a courtroom kind of a situation. It's court, he's using, Peter's using courtroom terminology to defend. And it, he's assuming, again, remember, he's assuming that you are eager to do good and you're a follower of Jesus. And at that time, these people reading this, if you're eager to follow, eager, eager to do good and to follow Jesus, you're probably going to come against opposition because Caesar, you're going to be opposition. You probably might be arrested and you might at some point be thrown into prison and 
days later be stand before authorities and you will have to defend. He's telling them to be prepared to defend. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you. I love this. For a reason, for the hope that you have. Because we know when we have Christ, we have that ultimate harm gone. That hope, we have a hope that's so great. Jesus' blood that covers our sin. There's so much hope here. Imagine living without that hope. But we have that hope, and you need to be prepared to give an answer for that. But Peter was not really specific about it. He, taught, he referred to a courtroom scenario here, but he wasn't specific. He didn't say when you go before the judge or when you go before authorities. He left that part. He, it was the, a reference to courtroom, but he left it general enough that it applies to all of us in all the things we do. So it's not just for a courtroom. It's not just when we're on trial, but it's no matter where we go. We always need to be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks us for a reason for the hope that we have. We need to be able to give that and if he's Lord of our hearts, we should be able to just, here comes that answer. Here's why. But don't wait for them to ask. When you see, when they see how you live, they should ask you. And they should ask me. But don't even wait for them to ask. Be anxious to tell others the reason for the hope that you have. And do not fear what they fear. What will I say? What if they don't like it? What if they laugh at me? What if they think I'm crazy? Do not fear what they fear. God is ruler of your heart. And we need to be prepared to defend. And think about this. This is the Peter. This is Peter that denied Jesus. And now he's writing this. Be prepared to defend. And he could have went on and said, you know what? I didn't do it once. And I should have. But since then, God has taken over more of his heart. Jesus is more of his heart now. Uh, he was a follower and now his heart is in. He's all in. Because all these apostles are going to die for this. Something happened. He's Lord of their hearts. <clears throat> be prepared to give an answer. If you want to be prepared to give an answer, you need to be able to study. I'm going to go out on a limb here. Everybody here is an expert at something. I know. There's already, you're already laughing. I know. Okay. Everybody here is really good at something. If somebody asked you about it, there's, there's something for all of us. What is one question somebody could ask you and you could say, all right, have a seat, let me tell you. You know, it could be a job. It could be a hobby. There's something that you could go on and on and on about and explain this. Um, it could be something like golf or it could be fishing or it could be your work or your business. It could be finance. Um, it could be the Bible. It could be anything. But everybody here is probably really good at explaining something. Music, art. We all know something that we could really talk about if somebody just asked us the right question. How did you get to be an expert? How did you, I'm going to call you an expert. That's loosely. But I'm going to call you experts today. Whatever that thing is you're thinking about, you're an expert. Like if you're an expert with woodworking, if you work with wood and you're an expert with wood and somebody comes up to you and says, listen, I need to make I need something for this purpose. And you could say, all right, you need this type of wood. We need to measure it. You need these tools. And here's how you treat the wood. Here's how you handle it. Here's the other accessories. You go on and on and on and on. You can see all this in your mind. You can build it. How do you get to that point? Obviously, somewhere you've studied or you've watched somebody or you've learned from somebody. Or maybe you've went, you went off to schooling. Maybe you have a degree. Maybe you have... Years and years of experience in your field, learning from the good and learning from mistakes. 
but it's taken trial and error and you've studied and you've learned and you've observed and you've asked questions and you've, you've spent a consistent time in your field and whatever we're talking about, you've spent a consistent time in this thing. Do we do this with God? We need to engage the minds of others. We need to have conversations with God, about God to others. We need to study our Bible. I didn't say read our Bible. We need to study our Bible. We need to listen what, what pastors say from here when God gives them a word. We need to not just check that box. We need to hear it. How does that apply it? Let it penetrate the depths of our heart. Let it challenge you. Meet with other groups. We need to spend time in prayer. We need to go to if gatherings and be challenged with other women so we can learn, so we can grow, so we can be more knowledgeable in this field. We need to go to men's retreats. We came back from men's retreats and guys were talking because we were changed and conversations went and we need to keep doing those things. We need to participate in those things. We need to study our word. We need to be able to give an answer to the reason for the hope that we have in God. It's not just we need to, it's not just something we can check a box on Sundays or check a box once a month. I was at church, check, I was there. You know what, I attended that one group a long time ago, that retreat way back. No, it's not enough. Think about this. Going back to the thing that you're an expert in, that thing you're great at. If you had spent, if in that area, would you be an expert if your level of commitment to it was the same as your level of commitment to God? Would that be enough? Would you be able to answer those questions? That's the challenge from here. We need to be able to defend. And defending is not just understanding the hope that we have, but it's a sense of studying. We need to really know this God that gives us this hope. The fourth point is be prepared to defend. We've just talked about defending, but Peter goes into more detail here in verse 16. He says, you do this with gentleness and reverence, keeping a clear conscience so that when you are accused... Those who disparage, I can't say that now, disparage you, your good conduct in Christ will be put to shame. A few things here. To defend, we must avoid willful disobedience to God, keeping a clear conscience. We must avoid willful disobedience to God, and we need to practice immediate repentance and prayer for forgiveness to renew our minds, to clear our conscience so we can be of a clear conscience, so we can be and really right there with the Holy Spirit when the Holy Spirit leads us. We can't cloud that relationship up with sin in our lives and just let that linger we're to keep our conscience clear you may be able to witness to others and when we are accused in this verse when we are accused translates verbally insulted or threatening speech so look at it with that in mind so when you are when you are accused threatened with speech um this is now this is going to disappoint you because being put to shame is not what you think it means i know that person that you just want to get them. No, that's not what this is. They will be put to shame does not mean something good, but it means it will silence their slander and may lead them to consider believing in God. They may believe in the gospel because as they've done this, you can defend it in a way, in a loving way, in a way that's respectful that their shame is not the shame we think of, but their shame might be that they realize it will silence that slander. And they may, in turn, if believe in the gospel. And if you see that theme all through here, think about this. You will suffer, but in your suffering, you can lead someone to serve Jesus. Give God your whole heart. Let him reign in your heart. And if you do that, it will pour out of you, and you can lead someone to serve Jesus. 
be prepared to defend, live a life that calls others, calls on others to, for you to explain the hope that you have. Study, be ready to defend so that others may follow Jesus. Defend in a way that may lead others to serve Jesus. Let me pray for us. God, I pray that through this word of Peter, not just today, but the other days, that we might realize that there's so many people around us that don't understand the hope that we have. And I pray you're using us, whether through trials and sufferings, for righteousness. Um, I pray that people see the hope that we have. I pray that they understand that we that we have no fear. We don't have the fears of the world. We don't have the fears of the ultimate harm because we know our, the blood of Jesus covers our sins. Thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen. We have people up here to pray if you want on your way out. Thank you for, for coming. Go get some kids. Go run the candy.